Understanding for the reading of God's word, we have but two verses of scripture. Proverbs 23 is our first verse. Proverbs 23 and verse 28. And then, excuse me, Proverbs 22 and 28, that is. And then Proverbs 23 and verse 10 are our two verses. And since we only have two verses, we'll read them in unison this morning here. Once again, that's Proverbs chapter 22. One verse in the chapter, verse 28, that we'd like to read. Proverbs 22 and verse 28. And reading together, remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Let's read those ten words again. Ready? Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Now let's skip down to chapter 23, and let's read one verse again together in unison, verse number 10. Ready to begin. Remove not the old landmark, and enter not into the field of the fatherless. One more time. Remove not the old landmark, and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. Let's make our prayer. Thou Heavenly Father, on this Memorial Day weekend, Lord, we thank you for those better than ourselves that laid down their lives and gave the supreme sacrifice that we might live freely. Lord, they died for people that care and for people that don't care. Lord, we, we care this morning. We thank you for them. But Lord, even more so this morning, may you speak to our hearts in regards to the landmarks the foundations, the borders. Well, thank you for it, Lord. I pray you bless in the moments of the preaching around thy word this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. But on this Memorial Day weekend, I've chosen a text that we've chosen once before, at least a number of years ago. I looked at my diary 15 years ago. I preached from these two verses, and we'll do it again uh, 15 years later. Proverbs 23, or 22, rather, and verse number 28 again says, Remove not... The ancient landmark. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And chapter 23 and verse number 10 again reads, Remove not the old landmarks and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. Keep your boundaries. Psalm says it this way, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We are called on this weekend, above every weekend of the year, if there's a weekend that we're called to remember, it's this weekend. Our table below us says, this do in remembrance of me. If we had an evening service, we'd probably have Lord's Supper tonight, but we don't. So, But we do the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him. We have this weekend, this Holy Day weekend, we call it holiday. We have this weekend not for baseball and for uh, apple pie, and I'm not against all that good stuff, and hot dogs and and for uh, parties and picnics tomorrow, we have this weekend to remember those that paid the supreme sacrifice that you know I might enjoy liberty. And God commands in the scriptures over and over again, many, many times, in fact, entire books of the Bible, i.e. Deuteronomy, to honor, cherish, and celebrate certain landmarks or memorials or borders that day that we said we'd never forget. It's only been 18, it'll be 18 years since September, and I'm afraid that most Americans are already forgetting. But you can't go down to the 9-11 memorial without seeing the two big chasms, the two big holes exactly where the two towers stood. And it's pretty impressive. I know some of you have been down there, some of you have not been down there. I've not been to the museum yet, but it's a memorial to remember what took place on that day, that fateful day, what we call... 
We have many Americans that don't even realize today on this Memorial Day weekend what the, the significance of December 7th is. I know my generation and older understand what took place on that day. We have many people that do not know another famous day in American history that's coming up in a week or so, and I'm talking about June 6th, 1944. The operation, the D-Day operation overlord, D-Day invasion of occupied Europe in the beaches of Normandy and the overtaking of the Nazi Third Reich, of course, and the despot of Hitler in the Third, Third Reich, of course. Many people do not know. We're, we forget. Well, in the Bible, the Word of God, God commands, commanded his covenant people, Israel, and I believe he commands us Christian people of America to remember, to memorize, to memorialize, to meditate upon our history, their history, the Israelites, and our history as Americans of a delivering God, a providential God, that God rules in the affairs of men. There's a manifest destiny, I believe, to this great country called America. Yes, I do believe in American exceptionalism. If you don't, I feel sorry for you. But I thank God I live in America, not Venezuela today. I thank God I live in America, not North Korea today. Whether you know it or not, you do too. And you'll be glad that you do. And I could name another hundred other countries as well, and even more than that. But if we were to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you need not turn there. Let me just read you the verses. But some wise sage said that a people that do not learn from their history are forever condemned to make the mistakes of history. And a people or a nation that forgets their past will soon cease to be a nation or a people. And so God commanded in the book of Deuteronomy, it's the regiving of the law. Just allow me to read the verses for you. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, let me read them all. Israel was commanded, they said, the Lord said, Hear, O Lord, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God, do you know it? With all thy what? Heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk with them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets before thine eyes, always in your vision, always as you're going forward, remembering the past. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. You see, Israel... There's one other nation, sometimes we used to be called the New Israel. I'm talking about America, the city sitting upon a hill. Israel was commanded, they were commanded to remove not the ancient landmarks. They were commanded to know their past, to memorize, to meditate upon their past, to memorize upon their past, to memorialize their past. And this weekend we are commanded to do that. Many other verses of Scripture we could spend the entire time in introduction this morning. We won't take the time to do that, but one more minute if I could. Deuteronomy 19.14 says, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmarks, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou, hast, thou shalt inherit in the land of, uh, that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. Uh, I'll wet your whistle a little bit. Some of you might know who I'm talking about, but our special speaker in an hour and a half from now, two hours from now, he travels to the world. He's been in Guatemala. He's been in Honduras. He's been in Botswana. He's been in South Africa. This is just the last couple of weeks, a few weeks. 
to be with us here this afternoon. He was telling me, Brother Marty, he calls me, he says, uh, every country I go to, I meet with people that are dignitaries and people that are very important and, they're, 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 and they all realize that America has to have borders. They all realize that America is a great nation. They all want to go to America. They all want to come to America. They love what's happening in America and hoping it happens in their country as well. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 27, verse 17, Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmarks, and all the people shall say amen. If you have a country, you have to have borders. If you have a country, you have language, you have culture. Job 24, and verse number 2 says, Remove not the landmarks. They violently take away that they violently take away flocks and feed thereof. The Bible says, don't take away the landmarks. We have history being re- historical revisionism. We have, we're being lied to in our media. We're being lied to in academia. We're being lied to by historical revisionists. They're changing history. And God tells us that we are to sanctify, that we are not to violate the landmarks that were set down. Two verses will suffice and we'll begin our message. It's what I call front-loaded. I got my whole message is point number one practically and then we'll fly through in the last few minutes versus points two, three, and four on our worksheet, so don't get nervous. But I want to give you four landmarks to protect. There's two verses that summarize what I'm trying to say this morning. Besides the two verses of Scripture that we use for our introduction or for our unity reading, Psalm 11, verse number 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Our foundations are being destroyed as a country. Another verse, the Bible reminds us, and this includes America, the wicked shall be turned into hell in all the nations that forget God. And so, with these in our mind this morning here on this Memorial Day weekend, I want to draw our attention to Four, the first of four landmarks to protect that God commands us to re- protect as a new Israel. And that is the first landmark that I want to spend our majority of time on this morning is the landmark of our country's Christian history. The landmark of our country's Christian history. The Bible says, and our forefathers believed this, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now in our King James Bible, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Jehovah. That's not Allah, that's Jehovah. That's not Buddha, that's Jehovah. That's not Confucius, that's Jehovah God. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. The Bible says that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. At the time of our country's founding, and we're going back 240 some years ago now, it is said that 98 or 99.8% of the population of this fledgling country of ours, identified themselves to one degree or another of sincerity or another to, as followers of Jesus Christ. 99.8%. Now, they were not all Christians. Many were deists. Don't understand me. But 99.8%. Of that 99.8%, 98.4% identified themselves as Protestants or Methodists or Baptists. 98 out of 100 people were identified with a Christian religious denomination of one sort or another or an independent group of believers. 0.2%, just historical truth, if you know, of the population was Catholic 
or 1.4%, excuse me, 0.2%, less than one-fifth of 1% were followers of Judaism. Virtually 100% of those living in America at the time of the writing of the Constitution of the United States had a Judeo-Christian tradition. The long-serving historian and associate Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story wrote and said these words in regards to the giving of our First Amendment. That the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof, was written for a was written for uh, by Christians, for Christians, and on the foundation of Christianity. He said the First Amendment, which gives us what we call our religious liberties of the day, was never intended to give religious liberty to a religion that kills people for in the name of their God. That it was intended to give, it was speaking to specifically Christian people of different various denominations and uh, Christian subgroups of, of uh, and not just the Church of England like England had. And that, that religion that we have, this religious freedom, would be for all Christians of all every stripe. You didn't have to practice if you didn't want to, but it was for Christianity. And if time would permit, and we don't have time, but I'm going to have to try to do it in about 10 minutes. I want to just give you a quick precursor of American highlights of American history of our Judeo-Christian or our, let me make it real simple, our Christian history and foundation of our country. It's hard to believe it's 2019, that's not hard to believe, but it's hard to believe that 399 years ago, there were just a few handful of English and European settlers here that came to America. I'm referring to a small boat, we know it as the Mayflower, that sailed 399 years ago, came to the shores of what we know of as Massachusetts today, Plymouth, and you know the rest of the story, most of you. They wrote a compact, the, first, the, the granddaddy of all the compacts or constitutions or covenants on the American soil. They wrote that compact and they, they said, in the name of God, amen. That's how the compact started off. I guarantee you, I promise you, by the authority of, of all historians, and if you know anything about the pilgrims, they were talking about the God of the Bible. In the name of God Almighty, in 1620, from that small beginning, it's hard to believe there are some 25 to 30 million descendants of the Mayflower in 400 years later. We're all descendants of those that came uh, 400 years ago. This is, we're still a young country in many, many aspects. Ten years later, in 1630, the Puritans came over and they founded the Massachusetts Bay Colony and with their fiery preacher by the name of John Witherspoon. I shouldn't interject it, but I'll just interject it. You type Google in this stuff, you will find an anti, you will find a, I typed in John Witherspoon the other day, and I saw a caricature of, uh, of uh, these wicked Christians hanging or drowning witches, that John Witherspoon was a wicked, wicked, terrible man, and they highlight the, the witch burnings of, uh, of, uh, of Salem, England, Salem, Massachusetts, of course. They make it that, that they, they were the despots and hateful, hate-filled people. It was John Witherspoon that, of course, wrote those words, or rather pre- preached that first famous message that's been echoed 10,000 times 10,000 over the last 400 years, that, that we as America were a city set upon a hill, and the eyes of all the people of all the nations are upon us. He wrote that almost 390 years ago. He preached it. It's been preached in many forms past that. In 1620, the pilgrims came and they set up a covenant and they had peace, by the way, with our Native American Indians for 50 plus years, thanks to the 
covenant and the treaty into the Christian ethics that they, they brokered. And they, John Witherspoon in 1631 brokered and talked about a city set upon a hill. We go to 1638 and just seven years after the Massachusetts Bay, Bay and I always feel like I have to read this. I try to read this once a year, so here it goes. I want to read to you the, the first sentence of the fundamental orders of Connecticut. You have on your license plate, if you have a Connecticut license plate, you have the Connecticut Constitution State. You have the Constitution State on your license plate because of these first words of the fundamental orders of the state of Connecticut. For as much as it has pleased Almighty God, now that's the God of the Bible, by his wise disposition of his divine prudence, so to order and dispose the things that we, the inhabitants and residents of Windsor, Hartford, Hartford and Wethersfield are now cohabiting and dwelling in and upon the river Connecticut and the land thereof to adjoining and well knowing where a people are gathered together, the word of God. Now that's not talking about the Koran. That's talking about the Bible. The first book that we ever printed as the United States government was the, was the word of God. The word of God declares, requires that to maintain the peace and union of such a people, there should be an orderly and decent government established according to God. Not according to government, according to God. To order and dispose of the affairs of the people at all seasons as occasion shall require. Do therefore associate and conjoin ourselves to be as one public state or commonwealth. And do for ourselves and our successors and such as shall be adjoined to us at any time hereafter. By the way, I haven't got to the first period yet. Enter into combination and confederation together to maintain and preserve state of Connecticut. Listen to this carefully. Colony of Connecticut. Enter in combination and confederation together to maintain and preserve the liberty and purity of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we now profess, as also the disciples of the churches, which is according to the said truth of the, of the truth of the said gospel is now preached amongst us, as also in our civil affairs to be guided and governed according to such laws, rules, and orders and decrees as shall be made, ordered, and decreed as follows. And then we enter into the covenants based on not government, uh, man's government, but on the word of God. The fundamental orders of, the, uh, of Connecticut, 1638. We fast forward for 100 to 130 years and we get to the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, endowed by their creator, not by their government, that among these are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So we see this fast-forwarding. We see in, uh, in 1776, we see the battle cry of the, of the revolutionaries, as we were called, the rebels, of course, the patriots, as we know them, have stood up against King George III. The battle cry was no king but King Jesus. You see, America is a Christian nation. We go to the 50-state charters all the way to 1959, the last one being the state of Alaska, of course. And in every one of our 50-state charters, there's a reverence to God Almighty. And in every case, I think if you study the historical backdrop, drop, I would contest anybody to prove me uh, wrong. Every single one of those writers or framers of the charters of every state in the nation, they were referring to the God of the Bible, the God of Jehovah, Jehovah God, the one and only true God. And it was declared in 1892 at the, in the Supreme Court of the the case, the Holy Trinity versus the United States. In 1892, the chief Supreme Court justice, his name was Brewer at the time, 
summarized, he said these words. These and many other matters which might be noticed add a volume of unofficial declarations to the mass. Listen to the words carefully. Let me start again. These and many other matters which are, might be noticed add a volume to the unofficial declarations to the mass of organic utterances that this is a quote-unquote Christian nation. America was founded, we put it on our coins early on, we put it on our currency, in God we trust. We may put Alexander Hamilton, we may put uh, Abraham Lincoln or Ulysses S. Grant on our bills, or Benjamin Franklin on our bills, but on every bill is found those words, in God we trust. America is a nation that was blessed by God. Our history and our birth is providential. It's miraculous. It's only by the hand of God. My minor in college, many of you know, was history, of course, and I majored in my, my major, my, my minor, I majored in American history. And so I had a 900-page textbook. I had to read every word of it. I had to outline the book. I still have my notebooks. I outlined the Stanford University uh, American history book. 55 pages of the 900 pages are dedicated to the subject or mentioned the subject of manifest destiny. The idea that America was founded, that God had a providential purpose for America. The, the early Americans called this, we called ourselves, we, they called themselves the new Israel. They made a covenant relationship with God. There's so many more we could spend hours, we could spend a day, a semester, a year, we could spend a college degree in studying our American Christian history founded by God. But I want to just for the time that we have in the last three or four minutes here before I move on, I want to tell you about the Battle of Long Island. You all know about the Battle of Long Island, right? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I thought you knew. I thought you were Americans. I'm teasing you. No, we're not taught in American history any longer. It was 1776, 1775 we'll go back to in April where the first shots were heard around the world. You know the story well. In Lexington and Concord, many of you have been there. And then shortly thereafter followed Breed's Hill and Bunker Hill, and you know that story, most of you. The British General William Howe came in from, uh, with 12,000 to 15,000 British troops, and they stationed in Boston. And uh, the, the Ethan Allen, the Minutemen, that's that, that winter, they trudged up through the cold snow. They went to Fort Ticonderoga. They got the 40 cannon. They, brought, they settled them down here to the, the hills of Breeds and Bunker Hill. You know the story, or rather beyond the, the heights of Charleston Heights, rather. They drove, finally, they drove the British out of Boston, but the British had reinforcements coming, an army of, a navy of over 400 ships. Many of them were frigates, 66 cannon men of war, as they were called. And a Navy army of 30,000 soldiers came from Britain. General Howe evacuated Boston. They set up quarters down in what we know of today as Manhattan, New York City. He sailed on the south side of Boston, uh, south side of Long Island. Washington and his ragtag band of this new Continental Army was made up of farmers, old men, and young boys with muskets. 15,000 at best at the highest amount of time during this time. They went down to meet and to defend uh, New York City. At that time, it wasn't even 15,000 people. There was an army of 30-plus thousand British seasoned soldiers, the superpower of the world, landing on its shores. The year is 1776 now. The, the, the day is July 2nd. Washington writes his first of many 
treaties to uh, uh, orders to his men, and I quote, he said these words, he called for a day of prayer and intercession and fasting for his troops, the soldiers, the men and men, the farmers. And he wrote these words, the fate of unborn millions will now depend under God on the courage and conduct of this army. Let us therefore rely on the goodness of this cause in the aid of the supreme being in his hands victory is. On July 9th he wrote, and pardon me, where did I put it? Oh, it's right here. I'm taking this from this book called The Covenant, the relationship between America of old and Israel of old and how we both chose to covenant and honor God in all that we do and how we live. July 9th, Washington would uh, encourage all of his regiments and all of his soldiers, and starting with all of his captains, to attend religious services regularly, prayer meetings in the morning. And he wrote these words on July 9th, 1776, and it was carried out with, uh, uh, carried all the troops. The order concluded with the following, quote, The blessing and protection of heaven are at all times necessary, but especially so in times of public distress and danger. The general, he's speaking about himself, Washington, the general hopes and trusts that every officer and man will endeavor so to live and to act as become a good Christian soldier, defending the dearest rights and liberties of his country. He went on to say many more, gives many more admonitions to his troops and prayer, prayer days before they went into battle. The battle commenced finally on August 27th, 1776, the Battle of Long Island. 30-plus thousand seasoned soldiers, 400 ships against 15,000 farmers, no ships. The seriously outnumbered. Most of the, most of the British had already fought in battles. Most of the Americans had never seen a battle. The first day of battle was Israel going after the Philistines. Americans lost over 1,000 men, captured, killed, or, 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 or wounded. The British less than 100. That night, a, the night of... August 27th, the British quickly realized they could seize the day and they decided to send up a number of their frigates up the East River, a mile wide East River between Manhattan, what we know of today, and the Bronx, of course. And as they started going up river, up the East River, God or someone, just coincidentally, if you're just a, just a so-called historian with no, with, don't realize that history is his story, you might say that a wind, just unusual wind just came out of the blue came out of the north, this very strong north wind, so strong it blew those British frigates back into the, the, out into the bay, they couldn't make it up river. For a day and a half, the winds blew from the north. Washington devised a plan where he, whereby his 12 or so thousand troops that he now had left, many had, had some who were killed and so forth, that he lit, made sure that all the fires were lit in, the, lit, lit in his camp encampment and he left a few soldiers behind to make a ruckus and make noise, make the British think that they were still there, and they stole away at night. I have the book in my office, The Miracle of Dunkirk, in uh, 1939. Many of you know the story of Dunkirk, how the, the miracle that took place for the 350,000 British soldiers and some Frenchmen that made it off the shores of there of France, uh, Dunkirk, rather. This was the miracle at Long Island. Washington devised a plan. He had as many rowboats as he could, and he said, well, we're going to row across the East River in the middle of the night, and when the British wake up, they, we won't be there, be there to find. The only problem was the wind, the north wind, was still blowing on the night of the 29th of August. 
It was blowing so hard that they couldn't get their rowboats across. About 9 p.m., prayers and intercessions were going up. Immediately, the wind stopped. Within a few minutes, it's recorded that a wind came, started to come from the east to the west, just the way they were going, and, and helped them get across the river all night long. But the only problem was they had just a few rowboats, and they had 12,000-plus troops to get across to what we know of today as Manhattan. About 5 p.m., 5 a.m., the sun starts coming up. And God sent in the historians and the people that were there to a man, witnessed a peculiar providential occurrence, a friendly fog, they called it, an unusual fog. A fog came in about, night, about early in the morning hours that lasted, in those early morning hours, it was so thick that historians say that you can not see a man six yards in front of you. And all that morning long until 9 a.m. in the morning, Washington ferried his last few thousand troops across the East River. It later became known as an American fog. At 9 a.m. in the morning, as the, the last troops were getting ashore, the fog suddenly lifted, and there, to the British shock and surprise, 12,000 Americans were on the other side of what we know of today as Manhattan to live and to fight for another day. You see, God rules in the affairs of Ben. God is a, a providential God. God, God knows and God takes care. God let the sun, these colonists knew the story. They knew that Joshua went to a battle one day and he needed more sunlight. God said, okay, stop the sun. America was about ready to be annihilated. Every military historian agrees that had Washington been pinned down and the British got up that bill to surround the American troops, the revolution would have been over right then on there on the spot. It would have been a surrender and we would have a British colony today and not an independent country. You see, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Bible tells us that we need to keep the landmarks of our country. We have a historical revisionism trying to rewrite history, trying to rewrite truth. We need to keep that landmark, the landmark of our American Christian history. Now, hang on, I just glanced at my watch. Don't worry, I told you, I front-end loaded. Here we go. Let me give you point number two. Second landmark you need to protect, and we'll do it quickly. That is the landmark of our families. The landmark of our families. I don't want to get negative on such a fine day today, but our families are being destroyed. As the family goes, so goes the nation. Our families are being butchered. Our families are fragmented. Our families are being re realigned and renegotiated. Or re no longer is it, as we heard last Sunday afternoon, it was Adam and Eve. Now it's Adam and Steve in many cases. It's a sad day. There's a breakdown in the family. I've never read, because there's a treatise about, uh, about six volumes big, I guess it is, uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica size. I'm referring to The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire by Edward Gibbons. I've read enough. I've read the cliff notes to know that the thousand-year reign of Rome and uh, the Roman Empire didn't come to pass because of the, the Goths and the Vandals from outside. The, the fall of Rome came from within. The Kitty Khrushchev took his shoe off in the United Nations 60 years ago, and he slammed it, on the, slammed it on the desk, and he says, we will not raise the hammer and sickle over America. America will. Now we have representatives, and we have senators in our United States of America House and Congress that want to raise the hammer and sickle of socialism in America. We're running them for presidents of the United States, all in the name of inclusiveness and equality. In, in, in the People's Republic, in a democratic way, and all these 
sound bites of the, the, the communist left, the atheist left. I want you to know that the Bible says that we need to have the landmark of our family. We need to do everything to keep our families intact. Let me just summarize quickly. We now live in a day where a man can marry a man, a woman can marry a woman. Mark it down. You say, preacher, this is grotesque. You shouldn't mention that. It's in Deuteronomy 27, and I'm planning on going there in a few, few seconds from right now, where a man or a woman can marry a beast. You say, oh, the Bible spoke about it 3,000 years ago. It'll God be true, but every man a liar. It's coming. You mark my words. It's probably here, and we just don't know it. We're living in a day where living are accepted. Significant others are the world of the, world of the day. Single-family homes are the majority. Divorce is like commonplace. And I always get sensitive when I talk about these things because all of us have fragmented and fractured families. I just want to give you just sound by just real quickly several things that deteriorate the family. Travel, the easy access and ability to travel destroys the family. Money, lack thereof or, or the wealth thereof can destroy. Technology, we can have our virtual families right on right in our our fingertips now, we can make a new family. We can, we can, uh, we can uh, Facebook or we can Twitter. We can do whatever we want to do. We can work, a lot of work, uh, too much work destroys the family. Too little work destroys the family. Leisure, too much leisure destroys the family. Too little leisure destroys the family. There's plenty of things that the family is being destroyed about and destroyed with. And I would encourage you to to rebuild the walls of our family structure. Work at your family. Love your family. I say this every time I get on this little subject here. I didn't say love your Christian family. Love them for sure. But love your non-Christian family. And all God's people said, Amen. that was good, thank you. Love your atheist relative, your sinning loved one. Love them if you don't, who will? 2 Corinthians 5, he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. God's called us to, to buttress and to build up and to strengthen the landmark of the family. Thirdly, fourthly, quickly, and I'm, I'm glancing at that over my watch here, but the landmark of fidelity. We need to restore the landmark of fidelity or of our practices. I, I do want you to turn and just glance for time's sake. We won't be able to go. Deuteronomy 27, please. Turn there, please, with me, please. And Deuteronomy 27, hang with me a little bit longer, please. Deuteronomy 27, 28, there's two mountains spoken about, Mount Gerizim in 28, Mount Ebal in 27. God says, I want you to put some landmarks up, some memorials, memorize some things, and make them important forever. He said in Deuteronomy 27, he, he called his people to, be, to have fidelity, to have faithfulness, to, have, to faithfully practice. Sonny and I were driving yesterday morning. We were coming back from a couple-day getaway, and we were driving, and we saw some people who were all wearing black. They were about 50, 75 yards off. We were off, and Sonny said, well, those people, they look funny. Why are they all black? I, even in my bad eyes, I realized, oh, well, those are, those are Jewish people. They're coming back from Sabbath. They all black hats, the beanies there, of course, the yarmulkes and the dresses. You could tell who they were by how they dressed. We saw some Amish people the other day. 
You tell who they were by how they were dressed. I'm not suggesting we have to dress like Amish or dress like Jews. I'm just simply saying they, kept their, they keep their identity. The Bible says to the children of Israel, just glance at some verses real quickly. Verse number 2 of chapter 27 of Deuteronomy, middle part of the verse for time's sake, that thou shalt set thee, uh, set thee up great stones and plaster them with plaster, and thou shalt write upon them all the words of this law when thou art passed over. I was down in Florida a couple years ago visiting my mom and dad, and we went to the little county courthouse of Jupiter, Florida, and there is a big granite monument with the Ten Commandments on it. They tried to, the ACLU tried to come in and take it down, and thousands of gun toting, by the way, Floridians, rednecks, I'm sure they were called, came and said, not on our watch are you taking this down, and it still sits there to this day. And that's going to be found all over in the south. We have people who are trying to remove our landmarks. Where did they get that idea of putting the Ten Commandments in front of uh, their courthouse? Right here, Deuteronomy 27. They when I, we went on to read verse number four, it says that ye shall set up these stones which I command you this day in Mount Ebal, and thou shalt plaster them with plaster. And then he goes into these commandments, these curses on Mount Ebal. Just glance at verse 15. He says, you should serve no other gods. I just, I just, I'm just going to say it, it pop in my head, it's going to... The reason why I'm all for religious freedom, but I'm not for religious freedom when people don't play by the same rules that Christians play by. And when we have people that, in the name of Allah, kill people, and that's what they believe in, they believe in the subjugation of Christians, they're playing on our turf, it's all right to worship the way you want to worship, that'd, that'd be fine, but when you want to impose your values, when you get strong enough... You say, oh, preacher, you're just a fear monger. You're an Islamophobe. You call me what you want. I'm, I'm fearful of Islam. Yes, I am. I, I, I own that take. And I want you to know that they, they, the Bible says, thou shalt, when you say, preacher, where did you get that? Verse 15, just glance at it. Thou shalt not make any of the engraving images or any, any other God, no other place. You honor your father and mother, verse 16. I'm paraphrasing quickly. Verses 17 to 23, no more sexual immorality. Live a holy, godly life. And the New Testament buttresses these truths of the Old Testament. Let everyone in the name of the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That this is the will of God, even your sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. There is a blessing to those who live right. There's, we need to restore the landmarks of fidelity in our country. Another message, another time. And young people, I'm not picking on you. I just want you to know, in general, just a, I'm so concerned as I see our young people today. And sadly, what they look like, some of them, they look like on the outside betrays to me what, what's probably on the inside. And the way they've been taught and the way they've been being raised with no structure whatsoever. They have no landmarks, no borders, no, no, no semblance of normalcy or certainly of no, no Christianity. God says lay the foundation, strengthen the landmark of our American Christian history, strengthen the landmark of our family, strengthen the landmark of fidelity of practices. But lastly, and quickly, the landmark of faith. Jude 3, the Bible says that we should earnestly contend for the faith. Hey, I'm not self-promoting myself. I've said it many times, I'm a poor preacher in the sense of my deliveries are very, not, they could be better for sure. I'm not very good in my diction, not very good at eloquence for sure. Lord knows all that. 
But I still, the best I can, the best God-given ability he gives me, I want to preach what thus saith the Lord. I still want to preach what's the foundational, fundamental doctrines of the faith. I was talking about a pastor, I was talking to a pastor rather just a few days ago, Monday or Tuesday, I guess it was. The Pew researcher of Gallup, I can't remember the truth, I think it's Pew, came out, and they're coming out all the time. Since 9-11, American Christianity, church attendance has been steadily dropping 18 points in 18 years, by one point a year. In the meantime, from 9-11, the year we said, we'll never forget what happened here. Non-Christians, non, they're, they're called nons, N-O-N-S. People with no religious affiliation whatsoever, Christian or any otherwise, secularist. They've increased by about 1%. We're about 20% more than we were 20 years ago. We're living in a post-pagan, we're living in a post-Christian nation and now a neo-pagan nation. What's happened? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. I've been picking on a lot lately, but we need to. Somebody needs to tell the truth. I've been picking on a lot lately, Venezuela. 20 years ago, Venezuela was the most prosperous nation in South America. Today, her people are starving to death. They took away their guns, and now they're taking away their liberty, and they can't stand up for themselves in America. We don't want to get involved. That's, some, that's familiar. And I, we don't want to be a warmonger. We don't want to get beyond our imperialists and go beyond our shores. Oh, I understand. We don't want to sacrifice American blood. There was something called the Monroe Doctrine. There's something called... Uh, the idea that if we don't take care, I'd rather take care of the forest fire abroad than the forest fire in my backyard. There's a day when, we, when you don't take care of your home front or you don't take care of the, your interest abroad that your, your interest uh, uh, in your backyard comes to roost. And the chickens are coming home to roost, I'm afraid, in America. I think I've heard that line before. I want you to know that God has called us, though, to retain the landmarks the landmark of our American Christian heritage, our American Christian history, the landmark of our families, the landmark of fidelity, the landmark of our faith. I close with uh, the song that we sang. I asked Eric to sing it for us. And we'll, in fact, I think we'll do that here in just a moment here. Samuel Francis Smith, he went to Andover College. I've been there several times now, Andover, Massachusetts. It's no longer a college, it's a prep school, and there's no semblance of God there any longer. But it was the fundamental school of the day in 1810 it was founded. Samuel Francis, Samuel Francis Mills went to, or Smith, excuse me, went to seminary there, and in 1832, at the Park Street Baptist Church in Boston, Massachusetts, which I've been to as well, next to the Boston Commons, still stands there today. He penned some words, patriotic words, for a fledgling country in 1832. He wrote these words, My country, tis of thee. Sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. We've just got through a couple of years of famous sports players and others kneeling at national anthem time. We're told it's a racist song and there's reasons for that. Did you know the Star Spangled Banner did not become our national anthem until 1931? For a hundred years, 1831, My Country Tis of Thee, was the de facto national anthem of choice in America. My Country Tis of Thee, sweet land of thee I sing. 
our Father's God to thee, author of liberty, of thee I sing. In 1931, it was in competition with the three songs in competition to become our official national anthem. You know the, the one that became the winner. The other one was America the Beautiful, God Shed His Grace on Thee, and Crown Thy Good with Brotherhood from Sea to Shining Sea. Three songs in competition for our national anthem. I love our national anthem. I wish it would have been, though, My Country Tis of Thee as it was before for 100 plus years. But I thank God and uh, I, I say to us born and bred Americans, I find more time than not, and I close with this, more times than not, people that grew up outside of our country and came to come to America, they become more patriotic than Americans lived here all their life. What you get so freely, you take so flippantly. Most of us never paid a price. Most of us are living freely because of somebody else's sacrifice. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm just being honest. But this is a free land because some people gave their lives that we might be free. And we decided we were going to have a king over us. Our king was not going to be King George III. Our king would be King Jesus, the one who died and rose again for our sins. Heavenly Father, bless we pray as we close our service today. Lord, we've gone long. I've gone long. Your people have listened well. We have some food to eat here in a little bit, but Lord, help us to realize, Lord, that this is a, was a Christian country. We were birthed as a Christian country. Lord, there's still a remnant. There's still millions. Let's not develop the Elijah syndrome. We're the only ones. Oh, no. There's millions upon millions of others all across from sea to shining sea that love you, Lord Jesus. We pray for America. We ask you that you bless us, but Lord, we more and so should we ask you to forgive us and that we might bless you. And in turn, Lord, you will promise you bless us. Say ye to the righteous, it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Lord, thank you for the privilege of living in this blessed land. Lord, bless these moments of invitation in Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing the last, first and last verse one more time of, of my country, tis of thee, whenever we're